Hi, my name is Jessica Monge and you're listening to Journey with Jess. I am so excited to be presenting you this very, very important episode. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month and I got the honor to interview Jessica Revelo. She is a licensed clinical social worker and a trauma-informed life coach and the owner of Unleashed Potential Life Coaching and Counseling. Understanding the fragility of working with trauma, she aims to give hopes to individuals who feel paralyzed by their intense emotions and feel haunted by the pain of their trauma. Specializing in domestic violence and assault, Jessica assists her clients in creating a life full of fulfillment, joy, and freedom from the pain of their unhealed trauma. Trigger warning, we talk about domestic violence and the signs, what you can do, how you can help. Take your time listening to this. It is a jam-packed of wonderful, important information. Without any further ado, this is Jessica Revelo. All right, Jessica, thank you so much for agreeing to be on my episode of Journey with Jess. I wanted to talk today about domestic violence since October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, something that's near and dear to my heart and something that I think needs much more awareness than what we have now. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Yep. So my name is Jessica Rabello. I am the owner of Unleashed Potential Life Coaching and Counseling. I've been working with domestic violence victims and sexual assault victims my whole career. So I am all trauma-focused, trauma-informed, and like you, domestic violence is also very near and dear to my heart. Thank you for sharing that. Um, can you explain to us a little bit more about what domestic violence is and the types of domestic violence there is? Yep. So domestic violence always goes down to the need to have power and control over another person. So it's there's always a huge shift in dynamic of somebody has more power than the other partner. And there's many different types of forms of, you know, domestic violence and abuse. So it could be emotional abuse or psychological abuse, financial abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, any other types that, you know, somebody is trying to get something from you or something over you. Is domestic violence usually only between partners, um, romantic partners? So it's not just intimate partner violence. Um, domestic violence could also be within the workplace. It could be within a family system. It could be between two friends. Mm. It's really anywhere. What are some signs? Um, let's say someone listening, they are the victim. What are some signs that they can pick up on and try to figure out on their own? We'll just use it like an intimate partner just for like some of these examples. So anytime that you feel like you're walking on eggshells or you're afraid to upset your partner for sharing your feelings or for sharing your thoughts, you know, there's usually a fear element there. Mm. Also, if your partner is very controlling, either with what you wear or who you hang out with or the type of job you have or going to school, um, typically people who are abusive will also try to isolate you from friends and family members. So Mm. they're, you know, they create a dependence just on themselves Um, And then sometimes that, you know, with any abusive relationship, it starts off really good and really healthy in a sense, right? There's like a, there's a huge high to these types of relationships. And then once they feel like they have either control over you, or they feel like they have, you know, the ability, you know, then you'll either start to see like some verbal remarks or some name calling or some harsh reactions and stuff like that. And if you're a person like you're the friend and you think that your other friend is experiencing domestic violence what are some signs that you could pick up on so it's not like just a guess or over exaggeration or whatever it may be i think if you just see a change in your friend's behavior right if you see Mm -hmm. that they're calling you less or they're texting you less or 
they're really isolated or withdrawn from themselves. Maybe they're not doing the hobbies that they used to do all the time, right? If you always went to the gym with your girlfriend three days a week, and then all of a sudden that stopped, and they're always with their partner, they're always with their boyfriend. I think, you know, there is such an isolation within these relationships that I think that's the part, the first part that people typically start to see. And a lot of times too, like if someone's in an abusive relationship, they're not always going to tell their friends like, oh, my boyfriend did this or my boyfriend did that. There's such a huge fear of judgment. So like that's not necessarily something to even look for or like look to hear from. Right. And as the friend, and you think that they're actually going through domestic violence, what is the best way to approach them without hurting their feelings or saying the wrong thing? I think it's just coming from it with a really patient, understanding, non-judgmental like approach, right? And like even just asking, I would never go up to a friend and be like, "Hey, is your boyfriend abusive?" Mm-hmm. Right? They're they're going to become defensive and protect their partner. But I would just, you know, I would just ask about the relationship, like, "Oh, how is Joe? You guys have been hanging out a lot. You guys must be doing a lot of fun things together." Mm-hmm. Right? Like you almost flip it or switch it so it does create space for your friend to then talk about the relationship. And if you hear things that are unhealthy, you can be like, oh, well, you know, I don't know, should he be doing that? Right? Like you could ask it in a way that's supportive, not like, oh, you don't deserve that. You need to move on. You need to break Mm -hmm. up with him. Right? Because like that, I feel like that approach is just too invalidating that it, you know, it doesn't necessarily work. Those are amazing tips. I guess another thing would be, I understand that victims of domestic violence usually go back with the partner and stuff. And for friends or family, that could be um, stressful. What are some things that you would say to a friend that is constantly going through that, that but they want to support? What would I say to the family member? Yeah. Or to the, like, or the when they, or the, whomever, when they yeah. see that somebody that they care about keeps going back to their yeah. abuser? I would try to just educate them. You know, like, statistically, it takes, it takes someone nine times to leave. So it's not like it's easy to leave these relationships. And I think some people... I definitely know some people in society as a whole, right? Like we always hear in the media, like, oh, why doesn't she just leave? Right. Right. And there's so much that goes into leaving. It's not just as simple as ending, you know, a healthy relationship or even just an unhealthy relationship where abuse is not involved. It's there's so much more invested in it. And there's such a huge safety element to it that I think people don't understand that. So in a sense, it's like, just be patient and just encourage and provide unconditional love and support as frustrating as that might be. But I think a victim needs to see that they have a support network they could rely on in the bad times as well as the good times in order to even get to that space. I've listened to a lot of other podcasts and documentaries of how the family members always so frustrated and stuff, but also the victim is just going through so much. So it's really nice to be there and have a support system for them. And it's, it's, I think it's frustrating for everyone, right? A lot of times a victim of domestic violence doesn't necessarily even want to be in the relationship, right? Sometimes they feel like they have to be in the relationship or they have no choice or, you know, there's such a helpless, hopeless feeling that they experience that like seeing another way is almost impossible, but like, it doesn't mean that they're happy or they're, you know, they, they necessarily want to be in that position either. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like it could be the financial issue or like, home that you can't leave because it's their only place where they have roof over their head or food whatever maybe they stay for the kids um I've oh, seen yeah. that as well can you talk a little bit more about domestic violence in men and how mm-hmm. they experience it because i'm not sure i think it might be a little bit different than how women yep. experience it so and i'll just like throw another i love statistics on this stuff because i feel like people actually get like the full picture on that 
So statistically, like one in four women, and it's one in seven men experience mm-hmm. abusive relationships. And for men, they are they are so different. So I've worked with women and men. There's such a shame piece that men experience. And I'm not saying that women don't. I think it's just more so for men because yeah. asking for help or going to the police if they need an order of protection, right? Like for a man to walk into a precinct and say like, my wife is abusive to me or my wife hit me, right? That right. T- there, There's such a shame piece there and there's almost a guilt piece of like, well, I should just be a better man or be a tougher man and I wouldn't be in this position. I think men also are natural protectors, right? Mm-hmm. So they want to protect their partner more so and not necessarily be honest and like those feelings and like vulnerability of just like showing up to the world of like I'm a victim I think that's really really challenging for them would you support a man differently than a woman in this scenario a little it's just a different approach that I use there's obviously fragility in you know men or women I think for men it's just more patience I can't be as hard on them right like I almost try to take the emotions out of it and just make it very matter of fact Mm. of um, labeling behaviors or labeling things that have happened in the relationship for them to see, right? Like men are also more matter of fact than women. Men, women are a little bit more emotional. So like men will kind of back up from the emotional side of it. But if it's more matter of fact, I think they're able to see it a little bit clearer and connect to that part a little bit more. What are some resources that DV victims or family members can reach out to? So there's always the National Domestic Violence Hotline that anyone could call or contact and they have a great website that gives a lot of psychoeducation and a lot of options and stuff like that. But there's also like local domestic violence agencies. So like here in Suffolk County, LI Against Domestic Violence, it's an agency I support near and dear. A lot of domestic violence agencies have a 24-hour hotline that anyone could call if you're a victim or even if you are a family member of someone who's a victim just to get support or to get options or to hear what options that are out there. Domestic violence agencies also provide counseling, they provide um, advocacy services, they provide, you know, they have precinct advocates if you needed to go file a police report or get an order of protection. They also go to court with you, they have domestic violence shelters, like there's so many support systems out there and supports out there. You just have to, you know, be open and look for them. They're around um, and they give so many services to victims. It's great. Awesome. Um Thank you. So I think we we went through all, all my questions really fast. You can elaborate more on whatever you want to talk about, or if there's something that we missed, this is a great chance to do that. Okay, great. So I think I think my main message when it comes to domestic violence, and especially it being Domestic Violence Awareness Month, um, is just that people are a little bit aware of what some of these relationships look like, right? Like what are red flags? And mm-hmm. I know we touched base on a lot of them in the beginning of this, but if you see that your partner is doing, you know, controlling behaviors to or limiting you from doing the things that you love or limiting you from going to school or going to work and stuff like that, just to kind of assess your relationship and see what exactly is going on. And if it is going down, you know, that slippery slope, Mm -hmm. I think too, sometimes that kind of throws people off is like, every time that there's, say, like an incident that happens within a relationship, like there's a cycle with that, right? They call it the cycle of violence. So like the cycle of violence is, is, you know, there's tension that goes on and then it goes into an explosion phase. And then after the explosion phase, it goes back up to a honeymoon phase. Mm -hmm. 
And the honeymoon phase feels really good, right? That's like the good parts of the relationship that a lot of victims hold on to because it, it mimics what it mimicked in the beginning of the relationship. And it kind of gives hope back into the relationship that it will change and it will get better and so on and so forth. And I think a lot of, at least a lot of clients that I've worked with, like they get stuck with that part because it's not bad all the yeah. time, right? There's so many moments of good and that's dopamine, right? That, that dopamine feels good and we hang on to that. Absolutely. I'm triggered out of memory when we were talking about in the beginning, the financial abuse aspect of DV. Can you talk a little bit more about how that looks? Because um, I don't think anybody really knows a lot about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I agree. I don't think a lot of people even consider sometimes financial abuse as being yeah. abusive. So financial abuse could look it could look differently for a lot of relationships, right? So one of it, it could be like the victim can't get a job. Or they could only get a part-time job. Like, you know, the abuser will make it that financially the victim can't sustain living on their own, that there's a dependence on their abuser and there's a dependence that they have to rely on them for finances. Mm -hmm. So employment is definitely one of them. But it also could include like going to school, right? Mm -hmm. Like preventing them from going to school or completing school so then they can't actually get the career or the job that they are looking for. Mm -hmm. something else with financial abuse, especially when children are involved that, you know, if you're a stay at home mom and you have four children, it's really challenging to leave an abusive relationship. Yeah. If you're not working and you're, you know, it's a huge role to take care of kids, but like, where would you go? How would you get out? I think a lot of people kind of get stuck on that within the financial abuse realm. Mm -hmm. Another side of financial abuse though, could be the very opposite of that of say, Say the victim has a great job and she works or he works really, really hard at that. But then the person who's the abuser, the you know abusive, like they take all of the finances from the mm -hmm. victim, right? So like it right. could also be switched on that side and look a little bit like that. Is there, because um, I have a client who is in a similar scenario, can children be um, victims of DV from a parent or would that be called something different? Children could definitely be victims from a parent. Some people would call that child abuse. Some people would call that domestic violence. I think they kind of fall within the same category. But even a child who witnesses their parents fighting or witnesses them arguing, say the parental figure was never abusive to the child, like that's still a child who's affected by domestic violence within the home. If there's a teenager or child that is seeking help and stuff, what resources are there for them? It's the same resources that are there for adults. A lot of domestic violence agencies also have children counseling, you know, children's counseling or teen counseling for them to also kind of have their own support networks. And they could also have someone to talk to, to talk about these feelings and talk about stuff like that. A lot of times for kids too, there's a lot of like support groups for children mm -hmm. who are affected by domestic violence. And it's a little bit easier for kids to kind of share what goes right. on at home. If there's other kids that they could relate to that are, kind of going through the same things and those groups are usually more like psychoeducational and like they'll just teach about like feelings and big feelings and what to do if you know mommy and daddy are fighting or you know hmm. safety planning and stuff like that that's really nice uh, to hear that there's resources like that out there yeah um yeah would those support groups or resources need parental consent for things like that they need one parent's consent mm. so they don't need they don't need like, obviously, like an abuser can't go to a domestic right. violence agency and access services. 
But if, say, the mom was the victim and she brought her three children in, she could, the kids could get services because the mother brought them there. So she's giving That's the good. agency consent. Yeah. That's awesome. Is there anything else you want to talk about or add? I think the other, and like forever, whoever's watching this, if it's a family member or if it's a therapist or if it's somebody who knows nothing about it, it doesn't matter. Something to consider when dealing with someone who is a victim of domestic violence is just the safety component of it. Mm-hmm. And making a safety plan with that person. So like, mm-hmm. I'll go into if that's good, um, yeah, like a little perfect. bit about what a safety plan is, and just kind of how that like what that looks like. So a safety plan really is a document or a piece of paper or just a conversation, whatever's best for, you know, the situation of like, what do you do if an abusive episode happens? And you're a victim, right? So like, if you are home, and your husband comes home, and he whatever, there's an instance that happens, like, how do you get out of your house? Mm-hmm. What are the outlets to get out? You know, if you leave an abusive relationship and you leave that relationship, make sure you have your location services turned off on your phone. Make sure you have a bag packed that has all of your important documentation or all of your children's important documentation all together. If you take medication, add that in your bag, right? Like anything important to kind of put in this bag so you are ready to leave. And also, like, if you are planning to leave a relationship, there is a huge safety plan. I always encourage everyone, like, if you're planning to leave an abusive relationship, like, please work with a professional who understands Mm -hmm. domestic violence to help you make that safety plan, just so your life is not more at risk or more put into danger due to leaving. Because leaving is very, you know, it obviously is very dangerous for a victim to leave. So, like, a safety plan is truly like number one. And it's something that I do with my clients almost like first, second session, I work with them. That's wonderful. I think that's very important. Something that I don't really see or see talked about or even mentioned and stuff. I very much wanted to do this episode because another podcast that I listened to covered it um, with another therapist, that podcast is a true crime podcast. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of like the worst case scenario in DV victims. I think it's very great to understand what to do, how to pick up the signs, um, and I hope I'm going to articulate this part well, but we know what, how bad it could get. Yep. And I don't want anyone to think that their situation is not that bad. So it's not DV. Mm-hmm. What is like the, the low risk? Yeah. Symptoms. Yeah. The low risk. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Cause I don't want them to gaslight themselves out of thinking that right. they're, what they're going through doesn't matter. Right. I think a lot of people t- kind of to go off on that point. A lot of people think that if there's no physical abuse, that it's not abuse, right? Some There's a huge assumption that like, if someone's physically abusive, yeah, we're very good at labeling that as like, that is abusive right. behavior, that's domestic violence. The emotional abuse, though, I think is the most detrimental on people. Mm-hmm. Because it's not very black and white, there's so much gray in it. You know, I think that also goes into like the tolerance a person has, right? Like, if you're in a relationship, and your boyfriend never calls you a name, and then one day he calls you you know, a derogatory name, mm-hmm. you're you're going to feel that really intensely. But say I'm in a relationship and I'm used to being called names all the time. I have a high tolerance. I'm not going to necessarily pick up on that and be like, oh, that's abusive. That's wrong. Right. So, so I think some of the emotional abuse signs like are really like the low ones that most people don't necessarily pick up on. I also think controlling behavior is another one right because a lot of times like controlling behavior looks like it's being protective or Mm -hmm. the person's being protective about you or they're worried about you or they're concerned about you that we don't necessarily look at that as like that's a negative thing it's like oh my god no he 
he doesn't want me hanging out with Emily because Emily drinks a lot. He doesn't want to put me in those types of positions. So I should just not be friends with Emily. It feels so good. And people who are abusive typically are very good at manipulating and very good at like manipulating and gaslighting their point or their way. So it's believable. It's very believable. Very easy to not pick up that it's, you know, abusive nature. That's very wonderful to know. I, I feel like I've met people who've been in similar situations, but what can you do besides just be there for them, right? Um, mm -hmm. Is there anything else you would want to add? Something that you think is important? Anything at all? I mean, I think there's a thousand things. Hold on, yeah. let me think. Yeah. Um, I really like this. The safety component is it. And I think anyone who shares with you that they think their partner is abusive or they think that they're in an unhealthy relationship, just try to be really non-judgmental and open-minded to what they're saying. Because I think our as humans, our natural instinct is to protect people we care about, that we could come off really harsh or we could come off, you know, like you, you have to leave, you have to do this, you have to do that. Right. I think it's important, really important for victims of domestic violence to make their own decisions and to make mm -hmm. their own choices. And like, there's, there's people that I work with that remain in their abusive marriage or remain in their abusive relationship. And I will support them through that, right? Like, I'm not here to tell someone that they have to leave their relationship because that's not fair. I don't live in that. I don't exist in that relationship. They do. So it's like, it's unconditional support. And as hard as that could be, or as difficult as that might be to manage, it is so, so needed working with this population. Do you work a lot with Latino, um, the Latino population or minority population? I do. Yep. So I under I know because I'm Latina, but in, in our world, it's very much like, oh, we're protective because the man is supposed to be protective and yep. all these other things. What can you say about that? Or is it similar to make sure you know where the line is drawn? Well, like genuine protection and like the toxic type. Right. I think because I do, I think cultural influences and cultural beliefs and norms do get blurry because it is like, well, this is how my mom was treated and my grandma was treated, right? Like that's what I was raised with. So I would never look at it to be abusive or unhealthy. Mm -hmm. I think that population, it's almost like similar to men, mm. right? Because like there is a huge sensitivity around it as well, because like you never want to do something to talk ill about your family members or to talk mm -hmm. ill about your culture. And I think that's where a lot of victims within that realm, right? become very protective of that. And there's a lot of shame there. And there's a lot of guilt connected to that. I think, again, it's like, almost separate the emotion from it and make it as black and white as possible. And matter of fact, just to start to show it from a non cultural perspective and a non emotional perspective to see, mm. you know, what I mean, to kind of show like, do you feel like this is healthy or not healthy? And, you know, kind of start the conversation from there. Oh, that's wonderful. That's awesome. The next question that I had was, and you can let me know whether you want to answer it or share it. But have you ever lost a client, a victim of DV? Yes. Um, would you be able to give advice to any therapist who might go through that or is going through that? Good question. Hold on. Let me think of my answer on that. I think if you're a therapist and you're working with domestic violence, you have to be realistic of what your role is and be realistic about the expectations that you put on yourself. I think burnout is high working with domestic violence because I think therapists make themselves like they have to be the hero, right? They have to save the victim or they have to save the child or whatever. They have to get them out of the relationship. And that's, that's never our job. That's never our role. Right. I think that's why I focus so much on safety of like, I, 
I would rather, and I'd say it to my clients too, sometimes like, I know I'm driving you nuts because we're talking about safety again, but like I, I overdo the safety component to it. So then I feel like, okay, I gave this person like the most I could possibly give them to keep themselves safe. But at the end of the day, I'm not in control over that. It's definitely challenging. Is there anything that therapists can do to, I guess, take care of themselves? Yeah, I think self-care is huge. I think a therapist, I mean, you probably relate to this too. Working with any population is huge. Like there has to be a balance of taking care of yourself in order to be able to take care and help other people. Something that I learned a little bit later in my career of, you know, the how not to take work home with you. And it's so mm-hmm. much easier said than done because these, you know, the stories that we hear are heartbreaking and you you so badly want to do something. And a lot of times we can't do anything except support the person or, you know, give education and stuff like that. So kind of learning not to not to take that home with you and just take best, you know, the best care of yourself so then you could help them. Thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm sure someone's going to be able to take that in resonate with it and it's going to help them in the long run. So the last question I'm going to ask you is what is one piece of advice you would give to someone listening right now? To call for help or ask for help if they need it. And I think sometimes just knowing what options we have, right? If you're a victim of domestic violence, you could anonymously call a domestic violence agency and just explain your situation and never say your name and never say your abuser's name and just ask what services there are right? Ask what options you have. I'm a firm believer in knowledge is power. And not that you need to do anything with that knowledge, but sometimes just having it gives a little bit of hope and a little bit of security that you do have choices and you're not stuck, even though you 1000% feel like you are. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey with Jess. I hope you enjoyed it and stay tuned for next week's final episode of season two. Thank you for listening.